you help me to share this uh, word and make it applicable to our lives this um, this February 2014. In Jesus' name we pray again. Amen. I heard about this and read about this family that lived back in the woods. This was years ago. They lived back in the woods. Of course, it was before the Internet and before television, and they had no radio, and uh, they basically were had no outside input from anybody, and uh, they were, you might want to say, homeschooling their, their children. And one day they decided to take a vacation to the big city of New York, the big city of New York. The first day the father took his son to see a famous skyscraper. They were so impressed, but they were especially intrigued with what we would call an elevator. And they noticed that an elderly woman pushed the button on the outside of this elevator, and all of a sudden the doors opened up, and this elderly woman walked into the small little room, and the doors closed, and a minute or so later, out walked a beautiful, gorgeous, drop-dead, 22-year-old young woman, almost in disbelief, almost in disbelief, the son asked, Paul, what just happened? And as Paul responded, I don't know, son, but I want you to go and get your mama. (laughs) I think that's a funny story. You know, it's true. It's true, though, guys. Isn't it true? Sometimes we wish we had a magic elevator. We wish we had a magic elevator, and we just enter that elevator, and the doors closed up, and they opened up again, and all of our problems would disappear. Isn't that true? All of our problems. We wish you had a magic elevator. Just walk in, and then walk back out again, and all our problems would be taken care of because, quite frankly, we have problems. We do. We have family problems, and often we have financial problems, and we have work-related problems, and we have health-related problems. And what do you do in the face of these problems? That's why a lot of people, that's why a lot of people don't enjoy life. They just endure it. They're not really happy, and they're not really joyful. You know, often people think, life has to be absolutely perfect for me to be happy. Isn't that the mindset? Life has to be absolutely perfect. If I don't have any problems whatsoever, then I can really enjoy life, and then I can be happy. But the problem is, is that we never live a problem-free life. Because when we get rid of this problem over here, then we get another problem here. When we get rid of this problem over here, then we get a problem over here. There's no such thing as a problem-free life. If you're going to learn to be happy and joyful, you and I must learn to be joyful and happy in the situation, in the problems, and in the difficulties of life. Is there such a thing? Can we be happy? Can we be joyful? Can we experience real joy in our life despite the problems of life? Well, there was one fellow by the name of the Apostle Paul that seemingly learned how to do that. And we read about it in what we call the joyful letter to Philippians. Let me give you the background on the Apostle Paul and his experiences this morning. 
the Apostle Paul spent the last four years in miserable, miserable circumstances. He spent two years in Caesarea for a trumped-up charge. And then he is put on a ship to go to Rome to appear before Nero. And Nero was not known for his niceties toward Christians. On the way there, across the Mediterranean Sea, from Jerusalem to um, to Rome, he's shipwrecked. And he ends up on this uh, island. And there he's bitten by a poisonous snake. He waits the winter out there. He continues on to Rome and spends another two years awaiting to appear before Nero, really waiting for his execution. And during this two years that he's in Rome, he is chained to a guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He has absolutely no privacy. He can't even go to the bathroom by himself. And Paul says in Philippians 1.18, I rejoice. He's in prison. This is his years of prison. And he says, I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. And the context tells us, I will continue to choose joy. I will continue to choose happiness despite the circumstances that I find myself in. What was Paul's secret? How does he stay so positive in prison? How does he triumph over his problems? How does he delight in his difficulties? How does he stay so happy and positive and joyful in spite of the fact that everything has not turned out the way he planned? Well, I think the Apostle Paul gives us four essentials. I find them right here in this particular text that Pastor Brad got through reading. Four essentials, what I call for joyful living. And first of all, he indicates that we need a perspective. We need a perspective to live from. We need a perspective to live from. And those of you who know me well since I've been here, you hear me say, we need an eternal, eternal perspective. I find that most of my ministry has spent in, in giving people what I call the eternal perspective. Every one of us have problems. Did you know that some of you brought those problems here? I don't have to tell you that. You know what your problems are. And I can see the Apostle Paul was saying this. I can even see the best and the worst. Your problems are not as important. This is not Robert Schuller. This is what the Bible says. Don't turn me off here. Your problems are not as important as how you're looking at them. The most important thing is not your problems. It's how you look at your problems. The way you look at a problem is more important than the problem itself. Your perspective makes all the difference. Look at verse 12 again with me. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul was saying, I see the very best in the worst. I can see God at work in my problems, even when those problems are not going my way. Did you know that the Apostle Paul had always wanted to come to Rome? That was his desire. But he thought it was going to be a different way. The Apostle Paul thought he was going to come in and he was going to have this large evangelistic crusade and hundreds and thousands like what happened at Antioch. He thought exactly it was going to... Antioch, there was a great revival and he thought the same thing was going to happen in Rome. He was going to come in Rome and he was going to preach the gospel and hundreds and thousands of people were going to turn to Jesus Christ instead. 
His privacy, his freedom has been taken away from him. And he is in chains. He is under house arrest, surrounded 24 hours a day by Roman guards, seven days a week. Did you know that these individuals that he's chained to, these palace guards, they're called the Praetorium Guards. These are the cracked elite guards of the Roman Empire, chosen by Nero himself. Did you know that these individuals would serve on the average of 12 years and then they were able to retire? They were the highest paid people of that era. And after 12 years of full-time service, these crack elite troops, the Praetorium Guard, they would retire and they would become the administrators and they would become the leaders, hand-chosen by Nero himself throughout the whole Roman Empire. And here's the Apostle Paul. There, listen to this, there is not no more of a strategic group of individuals that Paul could have witnessed to if he wanted to reach the Roman Empire. God put the Apostle Paul in Rome, and you might want to say, Nero is paying the bill. And he is chained, literally, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to the future leaders of Rome. And every four hours, they chain guards. In a two-year period, at four-hour shifts, Paul could have witnessed to 4,380 of these guards. And these guards had an inside route to the emperor, and as a result, even some of Nero's family became believers. History tells us that Nero had his wife, his mother, and his children killed because they became Christians followers of Jesus Christ, most likely influenced by these praetorium guards that Paul was changed to, that he had an opportunity to witness to, one-on-one, -on -one, hour after hour after hour. You see, we need a perspective to live from. What looks so bad, what seemingly appeared so bad, what, what, what appears to everybody as a difficult hardship became an opportunity for the Apostle Paul to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he envisioned and what he thought was a, was a, was a stoplight, you might want to say, was a dead end, became an open end. And in, 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 in his, in, he never envisioned, he never thought in his wildest dreams that he would have such an impact on those individuals, but he did. We need a perspective to live from if we're going to have joy in life. Not only that, but I want you to notice in verse 14, another thing that Paul realized. Look at it with me. He says, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and more fearlessly. My attitude toward the imprisonment, he said, has inspired other people around me to be courageous as well. And because courage is contagious, it spreads like wildfire. Other believers are becoming bold because of what the Apostle Paul had experienced in his life. Now, the, the, the perspective that you need to have in your life in order to have joy really is found in Romans 8.28. And we know that passage of Scripture. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And they're called according to his purpose. And here's a lesson. God has a, God has a purpose behind every single one of my problems. Now, you guys, if you've been around the church, you know that not, not all things are good. 
I can't say that that car accident I had years ago was good. I can't say the death of one of my relatives was good. I can't say that the disease my best friend had and died of cancer was good. But the Bible says, despite these things, in the face of these things, God can make something good out of the bad. Always does, always has. He always makes something good out of the bad. It wasn't good at first for the Apostle Paul to be put in prison. But he says, God made something good out of it. And the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached. And more people were won to the Lord by having him in prison than any other thing. And there are more individuals who got courageous despite the... All the hardships, all of these people were courageously witnessing because of Paul's courageousness in the face of the difficulties he faced. So God has a purpose behind every one of my problems. Years ago, now this will sound strange to some of you, but it will not sound strange to all of us. When you have a child, when you're on birth control, many of us look at it like, that's great, that's wonderful. But to some people, an unexpected pregnancy at first seems like a major blow. We had a couple that we knew years ago. She had an older son by a previous marriage, and then they had a son together. He had an excavation business. They were barely making it, but... And she was a manager of a small business place. But they were starting to get ahead of financially speaking. You know, they, they had thousands of dollars in debt, and they were getting rid of their debt, and they were planning ahead, and, 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 and everything was clicking along for them when all of a sudden, on birth control, she got pregnant. Not one, but two. Twins. Baby girls. Now, this sounds comical to some of you, but they came in all my office crying. Weeping, depressed, the end of a dream. We're always going to be poor. We're always going to be behind. We're not going to make ends meet. How are we going to pull out of this? I listened to them and I went back to Romans 8.28. And this looks so bad and it looks so terrible, but God can make something good out of what seems so bad. They came to me years later and they said, our, this is years later, our twin girls have been the greatest joy. We knew that I was going to, you knew I was going to say that, didn't you? Because it's true. They've been the greatest joy in our lives. It's perspective. Perspective. God has a purpose behind every one of my problems. Number two, I think the Apostle Paul here indicates that we need a priority to live by. We need a priority to live by. Jesus in Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. When things get tough, I need to know what's really important in order to distinguish between the insignificant and significant. Let me repeat that. When things get really hard and when things get really difficult, I need a priority to live by to distinguish between the insignificant and the, and, and the significant in my life. You see, I can live my life based either on problems or priorities. 
Either you'll decide what's important in your life or you will let other people to decide what's important in your life. If you don't choose your priorities, you're going to go around just like I have done in my life, putting one fire out after another, a knee-jerk reaction to one crisis after another crisis. Living simply life from problem to problem to problem and not choosing what's important. But notice in verses 15 and 16 of our text what Paul was saying. Look at it with me. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I I, am put here for the defense of the gospel. Paul was saying this, Not only am I in prison, but if you want to kick a man down, uh, kick him while he's down, there are guys that are attacking my ministry. And you know what that's all about because we've all experienced that where we try to do something in community or we try to do something on our job or we try to do something in the church and we're endeavoring to do everything right. Our motive is right. Our motive is pure, but people put you down for your ministry and what you're endeavoring to do for Christ. And the Apostle Paul had these individuals who were doing that. They were critical of him and critical of his ministry. Here he is in prison. He sacrificed all for Jesus Christ. And people are putting him down. But I want you to notice what he comes to, what his priority was. Look what he says in verse 18 with me. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul said he wasn't going to allow anybody to steal his joy. Nobody. Why? What is his ultimate priority? He's living for an audience of one. Now he's not living for his approval from his father or his mother or from his, uh, from his family, not from the people in the church. He is living for an audience of one. As long as he is endeavoring to please Jesus Christ, as long as he's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, these people can be as critical as he wants. And he says it doesn't matter to him because at least Christ is being preached. What does it matter? What should we live by? Well, Proverbs 3.6 says, In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you, and he will crown you your efforts with success. Here's a lesson. you got to focus on what really counts. You have to focus on what really counts. You know what, God, I'm going to say this, and I'll say this later on, but God has given you a platform. He's given you a platform in your family. He's given you a platform in your job. And you do all of this stuff, and I do all of this stuff, and, and yes, I'm called to full-time ministry, but when I worked in carpentry, I felt that God had given me a, a, a platform so that I could use that platform to share Christ, so I could witness to people, so I could use my job as an opportunity to be an example for Jesus Christ. And he says, this is my ultimate purpose. And I'm not going to let people bother me around me by their criticism. You're in any leadership position. People are going to put you down. And it's hard sometimes, even your fellow co-workers. 
But you have to have and believe that God has put you there in that position so that you can influence others for Jesus Christ. What a time we've been, what a time you've been appointed to. There's probably no one else can do the things in your family and in your job that you have been called to do. This is what Paul believes, believed, and this is how he lived his life. So you want to focus on what really counts, only what's done for Christ. Remember that little saying will last. Morally, ethically, imagine the joy in your life and how well you can sleep at night when you know that you've lived for the audience of one and not the approval necessarily of other people. I ran across, I believe it was a Reader's Digest article years ago. It was a story. And this middle-aged person, here's the gist of it, this middle-aged person was taking life and his family and his work and his health and his faith for granted. He was taking all those things for granted. And he took a vacation to a Hawaiian island, and he was one of those persons that enjoyed scuba diving. And I don't know how this happens. I'm not a scuba, scuba diving person. I've never done this before. But evidently, he got in one of those lava tubes. And he began to explore this lava tube. And he, and he began to make his way back. And somehow, he got dis, disorientated, and he lost track of time. And he realized that he was running out of oxygen. And he couldn't make his way back through, and he had to go forward. And in this lava tube, he looked up, and he, he saw that he was only a couple feet from underneath the surface of the water because he would see these openings in the lava tube. And he, was only, he knew he was only a couple. So he had to go forward, and he had to find an opening, and he had to do it in a certain period of time because he was running out of oxygen. And according to him, right when he lost his, you know, the oxygen from the tank, and he had only just a, a few seconds left, he found the opening, and he, swim, he quickly swam to the top, and then he swam for shore. And he threw off all of his um, scuba gear, his mass, his tank, and he is panting and lying on the shore. And this is what he said. He said, I never saw a sky so blue. I never smelt the smells I smelt before. I never felt the warm ocean and the sand beneath me as I felt that afternoon. It's perspective, isn't it? He had to come to a near-death experience. It took that experience for him to realize that his priorities were wrong. It doesn't, we don't set out to have wrong priorities. It just happens. Paul said, my ultimate priority, it doesn't, it is to preach Christ, to share Christ, to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Here he was having his near-death experience. He might want to say himself, he's waiting execution. And he said, I rejoice. I continue to rejoice because he had his priorities Right. Well, I, I think that uh, the Apostle Paul also indicates here that we need a power to live on. 
We need a power to live on. You know, it, you need strength. You need super, God's supernatural strength to keep on keeping on because life can wear you out, because life can drain you completely. One crisis after another can drain you. You lose your energy. You lose your power. Some of us perhaps are just a second away from throwing in the towel at times. You say, I've done the best I can do, but it's not good enough. I, I'm tired and sick, and you need a fresh supply of God's power. And notice what he says in verse 19. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul says there are two things that have given me strength. The intercessory prayers of other people and God's Holy Spirit. Later on, in Philippians 4.13, he would write, I have the strength to face all the conditions by the power that Christ gives me. Another translation says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. The Paul later would write in, in Ephesians that, that we can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can think or ask because of Jesus Christ, His Spirit working within us. The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We read in Greek that the word is dunamos, where we get our, where we get the English word dynamite, TNT, the spirit of the living God, which lives within you when you become a believer in Jesus Christ. Scripture says, don't quench the spirit, don't grieve the spirit, live in the spirit, walk in the spirit. You can do all things which Christ would strengthen you through the power of His Holy Spirit. Because we get worn out, we do get tired. And I want you to circle the word, um, Look at verse 20, and he says, I eagerly expect and hope, circle that word hope, if you'd like to circle, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Hope. What we're really talking about is hope. You can't live a second without hope. You've heard me say this. You can live 30, 40 days without water. Excuse me, 30, 40 days without food. A few days without water. A few minutes without oxygen. But not one second without hope. I'm always reminded of the major study they did years ago at Cornell University. They studied 25,000 POWs, prisoners of war, from World War II. And they found that each one of those men that faced all of those trials and all those difficulties, and many of them were beaten and abused in those POW camps, that you can face tremendous stress, you can face tremendous pressure as long as you have hope. But the moment that a man lost hope, he died a short time later. What's your hope in? I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. You see, here's a lesson. With God's power, nothing can devastate me. Think about it. With God's power working my life, nothing can devastate, devastate me. It can get me down. It can make me discouraged. It can make me depressed at times. But it's not going to keep me down. Because I've got God's Spirit inside of me. And even though I fall down, and even though I, I struggle, and even though I, I don't have perfect performance or whatever it may be, because of God's Spirit inside of me, it helps lift me back up and gets me on my feet and get me marching again. 
If I'm going to make it in life, I need a perspective to live from. Something so I can see the way things really are, not the way the things that, that I feel they are and the way that they seem to appear. I need a priority to live by so that I can do the first things first. And I'm not taking away uh, from the from the non. I'm not being taken away and drawn away from the non-essentials. And I need a power to live on to give me the strength I need to live this Christian life and the life that God has called me to live. I cannot do it apart from God's power. And the fourth thing I think that Paul was talking about here is is that I need a purpose. I need a purpose to live for. Now listen, Paul is old. He's tired. He's up in years. He's been in prison for four years. He's ready to go to heaven. And you read it. He says, I came to the place where I believe that God's going to deliver me. But you know what he was talking about? Either God was going to deliver him and release him for prison, or God was going to deliver him and he was going to be executed and he was going to go to heaven. And he had peace with either scenario. Being free from prison or executed and heaven waiting for him. He's old, he's tired, he's up in years. He's ready to go to heaven. They've taken everything from him. His friends, his ministry, his freedom, his privacy. They've taken everything from him except the one thing that cannot be taken from you and the one thing that cannot be taken from me. And that is purpose in life. Hope. In verse 21, notice what he says. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I die, he's not a masochist. He's not suicidal. He's not depressed. But he says, if I live, I can still preach Christ. And if I die, I'm going to go to heaven. How would you feel in this blank? For me to live is what? For me to live is possessions. This is what somebody has written about possessions. Get all you can, can all you get, set on the can, and spoil the rest. Get, get, get. Somebody else has said, we buy things with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Somebody else has said that the time that you catch up with the Joneses, financially speaking, the Joneses refinance. For me to live as possessions? I don't think so. That's not my ultimate goal. That's my, my ultimate purpose because the moment that I get that new RV vehicle, the moment I get that new car, the moment I get that new motorcycle, within a couple months, the newness have worn out. You know, it's worn out. I don't live for possessions. We don't live for possessions. Somebody has said, for me to live is pleasure. If it feels good, do it. For me to live is power, position, prestige, popularity. The problem with those things is if the, if the most richest people in the world, the most popular people in the world, and the most uh, people that had all the power and the position, if, if that was true, then those people in Hollywood would be the happiest. And all of our politicians in Washington, D.C. would be the happiest. But that young man, I call him young man, middle-aged man, he was found dead with a needle in his arm. 
from heroin. All the money and fame and fortune didn't bring him lasting happiness. The problem with those things is that they don't last. Paul had a long-term goal. He looked at things in the light of eternity. Did you hear what I said? Paul looked at things in the light of eternity. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. He would later write, and I want you to listen to what he says here. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And the best thing to invest in is something that will outlast us. Something that will outlast us. We invest in our family because we believe that our children will outlast us. We invest in things in eternity because we believe these things will outlast us. The best use of our time and money is to invest in things where we can bring as many people with us to heaven. That's why we give of our time and talent and treasures. We're investing in eternal things that will last forever. So here's the secret of joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Very simple but profound. And I understand I understand a lot of unhappiness is caused by circumstances beyond our control. I understand that. And I'm not naive enough to be an expert in this area. And I won't pretend to say that all depression is evil. I think that some depression is good because it it's a call to healing. It's letting us know that there's something going on in our life that's out of balance, out of whack. I say all that to say that some happiness, some happiness in our unhappiness in our culture and some discouragement and, and some depression is caused by a total preoccupation with self. What's best for me? What will make me happy? What's the best thing for me? And when we learn to have a greater purpose in our life than just ourselves, we'll have more joy, I believe, than we can handle, especially when it comes to our time and talents and treasures. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money, God and possessions, God and pleasure. God has to come first. And then all these things will be added unto us. This illustration, I remember running across it years ago, and I, it didn't even cross my radar system until just this last week. But this is a really good illustration, and it's been around for years. There was a lecturer with a room full of people at a seminar, and he said, okay, it's time for a quiz. And reaching from underneath the table, he brought out this gallon-sized jar with a wide open mouth. You know the kind I'm talking about? Glass jar with a wide open mouth. I think you could probably fit a gallon of mayonnaise in this thing. And he brought it out. And he set it next on the table to next to a platter covered with fist-sized uh, fist rocks. So we have this gallon jar, and then we have this platter of fist sized rocks 
and he asked the participants, he, get, he said, how many of these rocks do you think I can fit into this glass jar? And after the students made the, the, the guesses, the seminar leader said, okay, let's find out. And he began to place one fist-sized rock into this jar after another, one after another after another. And then he asked the question, when he couldn't fit any more fist-sized rock, rocks in, is the jar full? Everybody could see that the jar was filled full of these fist-sized rocks. So they said, yes, not so fast, he cautioned. And then from underneath the table, he lifted out a bucket of fine gravel. And he dumped it in the jar, and he began to shake it up just a little bit. And the gravel slid into all the spaces left by the big rocks. And grinning, the seminar leader said, is the jar full? A little wiser by now, the students responded, probably not. Good, the teacher said. And then he reached under the table, and he brought out a small bucket of sand. And he poured the small bucket of sand on top of those fist-sized rocks and, uh, and mixed it in with the this, this small gravel. And he shook it all. And, they, and, 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 and that sand went in all those spaces left by the rocks and by the gravel. And while the students watched this happen, once more he looked at the class and he said, Now is the jar full. And the, 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 the audience replied, the students replied, No, the jar is not full. Good, said the seminar leader. And then he grabbed a small pitcher of water, maybe about a quart, and he poured it into that jar full of rocks and gravel and sand and filled it all the way up. And then he asked the question, is the jar full now? And they said, yes. And then he asked the question. He said, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, the jar is now full. Can anybody tell me the lesson that we get from this? What's my point? And one of the participants spoke up and said, well, there are gaps in your schedule, and if you really work at it, you can always fit more into your life. And that's the way some of us think. No, the leader responded, that's not the point. That's not the point, whatever. Whatsoever. The point is this. If I had not put the fist-sized rocks in first, I would have never gotten them in. We're talking about priorities. It's easy. It's easy to get whacked out in the priorities of life. We don't mean to. Our culture, our jobs, pulling us this way and that way. And pretty soon, we miss out on individual and corporate worship. We miss out on putting God first in our lives, in our time, our talents, and our treasures. What did Jesus say? What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, body, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Would you bow your heads with me, please, as we conclude in prayer this morning?